0: you're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. Did you know that it is estimated that by 2050, there will be more plastic by weight than fish in the ocean? That's mind-blowing to me. (laughs) And so, I wanted to learn a little bit more um, about this because, you know, who's responsible? Is it us as consumers? Is it uh, the companies that are supplying this this packaging is a, further up the supply chain. So uh, I, I had a great time uh, inviting and interviewing uh, Atlantic Packaging President Wes Carter on the show and we take a deep dive into plastic pollution. Um, everything from zero waste to designing for circularity to even the carbon footprint of plastic packaging. So. Um, I'm excited about this one. I hope you enjoy. Thanks. The Sustainable Angler podcast is brought to you by Emerger Strategies, a sustainable business consultancy whose mission is to solve the climate crisis by helping your business go carbon neutral and zero waste. To learn more, visit EmergerStrategies.com. So Wes, we we met. It was a couple of years ago. So this was pre-COVID at a at a Low Country Land Trust event. I think the event's called Flourish, and so that's where we kind of initially met. And when I when I first learned about Atlantic Packaging, and y'all have got a really fascinating uh, history and story, and wanted to kind of just get things kicked off. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just providing a little bit of background on on your company and and yourself?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Atlantic Packaging, we actually turned 75 years old this month. It's um, awesome, it congrats. It's we're, we're a third generation uh, packaging company. My grandfather, uh, Horace Carter, started Atlantic in 1946. Um, and we actually started it as a weekly newspaper of all things. Uh, my grandfather, um, graduated from the University of North Carolina uh, as the editor of the Daily Tar Heel, and then he moved to a small town in North Carolina uh, called Tabor City uh, and started sort of a weekly newspaper. Um, And um, really the interesting part about the inception of Atlantic, um, my grandfather within about the first year of him publishing that newspaper became aware that the Ku Klux Klan was really active in that community and the surrounding communities and doing motorcades and dragging people out of their homes and cross burnings, and really all the things you read about the history books. And uh, my grandfather had had this liberal arts you know, education and he was a God and country, power of the pen kind of guy. And he took it upon himself to use his newspaper to fight the Klan. Uh, long story short, because, because of his writing and the work that he did, uh, the FBI uh, with his help infiltrated the Klan uh, and arrested over 300 Klansmen, including the Grand Dragon, the Carolina's Ku Klux Klan. Um, and that broke their back. They were never the same organization in the Southeast. And my grandfather won the Pulitzer Prize for Meritorious Public Service in 1951. And he was the first weekly newspaper to ever win a Pulitzer. So That's wow. how Atlantic started. That's um, unreal. And, um, you know, and and we, you know, in those days, if you were in the newspaper business, you were also in the paper supply business so our packaging business actually grew out of that paper supply business specifically with textile companies as this textile industry moved from the northeast new york pennsylvania new jersey down to the southeast uh, to set up factories we began selling them converted paperboard for you know men's shirts collar strips and you know shirt inserts underwear and sock inserts those kind of things and that just evolved into tape and bags and and, in all the all the different types of packaging items kind of grew up around that textile industry so um that that's really how we started um and uh you know fast forward to today um we are the largest privately held packaging company in north america now um we have locations you know all over the country we're certainly saturated in the southeast uh, we're based in wilmington north carolina where i grew up but um and today we um we service uh, primarily large consumer products companies uh, across a lot of different verticals uh food beverage uh automotive uh medical device building products we do a lot in the e-commerce space these days um, we also still have a pretty big textile business uh, down south uh, but really you know anybody manufacturing anything is a is a target customer for us and um and, and like i said most of our customers are large you know fortune you know 200 300 type type organizations so um we're really diversified um you know we sell packaging equipment we sell materials we do technical service uh, we also manufacture a lot of things we're a large paperboard converter uh, we have a printing and graphics division so we do labels and folded cartons and you know super diversified and you know roughly 1500 employees and um you know and. And I've been with Atlantic full time for about 20 years, and I've been the president for the last seven. Uh, my father, Rusty, uh, is still our CEO, um, and uh, he works uh, out of our Wilmington office, and, and I'm right here in Charleston. Okay, cool. Well, um,
0: well, that is an, an incredible uh, story, and cool to hear the history, just kind of 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 sort of as textiles move south and um, sort of the evolution of of the business. And what's interesting to to me when, when, when hearing you tell that, that story is what I hear is, you know, kind of, uh, and sort of an innovative company that is, you know, uh, changing with the, with the signs of the times. And, um, one of, one of those things that I know when in terms of that's obviously a topic of, of, of this podcast and, and, um, is, you know, packaging, right. I mean, you're in the packaging business and, you know, is, is, uh, as an angler and, and I know we we've talked before, um, as an angler and a, and and a surfer, um, you know, we see it out there in the ocean all the time, right? I mean, whether you're, you're, you're fishing or surfing, and I kind of wanted to just get, get a conversation started a little bit about, you know, I mean, what, what is it like, are people just not recycling or is there recycling infrastructure? Are there, you know, what, what is the, Let's dive into this topic a little bit on
1: sustainable packaging. Sure, and it is a radically complex issue. Um, and, and that's why a lot of the solutions uh, do take a lot of deep thinking and sense-making. And, and that's one of the things I've really been focused on over the last several years is really trying to map this whole supply chain, um, you know, really from cradle to grave and, and, and what they call now cradle to cradle. We really don't want products to end up in a grave anymore. Um, and, uh, and really you know trying to understand that whole supply chain uh, from how the products are manufactured, the packaging options, the recycling infrastructure, which is super complex and evolving all the time. Um, and so you know really um, you know the future for packaging in my opinion is we have to design packaging for circularity. And that has traditionally not been a priority. You know we design packaging for function uh, and form. Um, You know, we design packaging for for marketing reasons, um, you know, but again, primarily to protect products. But designing for circularity, you know, it's really been more convenience and cost. I mean, that is the world we have lived in. Everything is about convenience and cost. And um, if those are your only motivating forces for designing, um, it can be very problematic, you know, long term, especially when we start to look at the waste issue we have today. Um, You know, I. The outdoors has been really important to me my whole life. I mentioned my grandfather earlier. You know, the second part of his career. I mean, my grandfather was a lifelong freshwater fisherman. And so when he retired from Atlantic, and my father took over in the '70s, my grandfather actually moved to Central Florida, and he wrote, you know, close to 25 books all about freshwater fishing. He was considered one of the foremost uh, freshwater fishing writers in in Central Florida um, back in the '80s and, and early '90s. And so it's been a part of the blood of my family and our organization. My father has been a lifelong uh, outdoorsman and hunter and fisherman. And, you know, we grew up doing a lot of offshore fishing. And then, you know, today I'm, I'm a passionate angler, but also a, a lifelong surfer. And, and to your point, I've traveled around the world and we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to do that, you know, um, whether it be, you know, overseas or Central America or the Caribbean. Um, you know, e- even throughout this country, you know, fishing, hunting uh, and surfing. And um, in my lifetime, just one, even over the last six or eight years, the, the, the level of plastic pollution specifically that I see in our waterways is just uh, undeniable. Um, and the thing that concerns me is as someone in this packaging supply chain, um, the thing that I don't think most people recognize is this problem is getting worse and it's getting exponentially worse. Uh, the best figures we have today from the Alliance to In Plastic Waste, which we're members of, is currently globally, we're putting about 11 million tons of plastics in the oceans every single year, 11 million tons a year. And at the rate we're going by the year 2040, that number will be 29 million tons. So That's you think about right. that, we're going to triple the rate uh, over the next 20 years. and you know this problem. if you go over to indonesia or malaysia or india it's pervasive i mean you can't i mean i was in the Mentawai island surfing uh, several years ago and, and there are plastics everywhere talked to a friend of mine who was fishing in the dominican republic and he's like wes literally we were shagging plastic bags off our hooks he's like you could hardly fish down there because there's so much plastic in the ocean and if it's that bad now triple that number and see what it looks like and um, you know, I talked to the guys in the Charleston Waterkeeper, and they're like, one of the issues we've got on the, you know, here on the East Coast is so much of the plastic ends up in the estuaries and in the marshes. We don't see it on the beaches, so people don't realize what a problem it is. All you got to do is walk into the filter system of the marsh to see it sitting there. You yeah. so I think for general consumers and the general population, like, you, know, you trust some of us that are in the supply chain. You know, this problem is significant and growing and you know we need cleanup efforts but we also have to shift the way we purchase products the way we design products the way we design packaging
0: yeah and and just uh for for the listeners out there just as a, a point of of clarification for if you're not familiar with circularity um where traditional models were linear right so it was take make waste is the easiest way to describe it right you you, you take a a resource you make something out of it you throw it away whereas circularity is about making decisions in the design phase that will uh be able to keep a product in in a usable form um indefinitely in in, in some cases um but for example plastic packaging so if there's like reusable plastic packaging and it's designed in a way that can ship products and materials um and be reused over and over again well what does that do that keeps plastic out of the ocean that keeps plastic out of our waterways uh, because it's it has value in being reused instead of just all right well i'm done with it i'm going to toss it um so i think i got that is a somewhat of a good uh, way to describe it, Wes. I'm I'm, I'm not sure, but the um, ah, yeah. Um, but that's 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 more or less what 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 that means, and um, so that's. And, and another key thing, part of that is the design phase, right? You know, I mean, that's where you can make, and That that's true with anything related to sustainability, whether it's a green building, you know, you always want to have a design charrette first. If it's a product that you're looking at, anything that you can do in the design phase is going to make it easier um, to make better decisions for the environment throughout the life cycle of the product, if, if that makes sense. So anyway, that's my, that's my tidbit, but, um, but, but you, but so we're talking about, you know, this is pervasive and and we're seeing it everywhere. And I know that, um, because we're, we're connected and, um, I've seen some really interesting things that y'all are doing, um, to affect positive change as a, as a business in terms of sustainable packaging. And I was wondering if, if you would be willing to, to highlight a couple of the, the those products or materials that y'all are using
1: to to help affect some of this change yeah absolutely well the first thing that i think it's important to recognize is you've got multiple areas of the supply chain and so when you're looking at you know and, and i and i do believe that black and white thinking as it relates to plastic packaging um, is a real error in direction um, so anytime i hear anyone say, Oh, we need to get rid of all plastics. I'm like, well, you just haven't done any investigation. You know that 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 is a that is a sentiment that is based on uh, not being educated because there are areas of the supply chain where plastic packaging is radically efficient, and if you eliminated it, it would cause a trickle down effect that would be far worse. Uh, you've got areas with food, for instance. You know, plastic packaging is critical in keeping food safe for longer periods of time. And so the idea that we would get rid of plastic packaging for food, well, we're going to throw away a lot more food, you know, which nobody wants to do. So um, again, we, we, I look at the different areas of supply chain, which I break basically into two categories. You've got business to business packaging or logistical packaging, where you're shipping primarily large pallets of goods, which is an area of the supply chain that we're deeply engaged in and have been for, you know, decades. Uh, and then the other area of the supply chain, which most people are much more familiar with, is the business to consumer. Um, especially with the uh the advent and the growth of e-commerce, you know, business to consumer packaging has become um, you know, a huge part of our of our world. And um, and one of the really you know silver linings, I believe, of COVID is because everyone was stuck at home and e-commerce makes it so easy to get products to your house. Um, all of a sudden, one of the you know, one of the offsets from that was everyone was getting so much packaging to their house over the last year. You know, it was funny because my friends would text me pictures of boxes that would show up with all this packaging and say, Can't you do something about this? Aren't you in this business? I don't know what to do with all this packaging. So I actually think that COVID raised awareness at the consumer level um, you know, for the, the need for some reform related to packaging. I think that's been a real positive. But so when we look at sustainable packaging, when it's business to business packaging, one of the primary products in that in that supply chain is stretch film. So most people are familiar with clear film. It wraps around pallets of boxes or bottles or whatever else it may be to get those products from point A to point B. That's a big product for us. Okay, so stretch film is radically efficient. You can wrap you know a three to five thousand pound uh, pallet of goods for as little as six or eight ounces of film. It don't get any better than that, you know? And so that is an area where plastic packaging makes a lot of sense. However, tradition, there's probably, if I had to estimate 2 billion pounds of stretch film used in the United States annually. Uh, So it's a big number. Very little of it is recycled. If I had to guess less than 1% is recycled. But that product is highly recyclable. It has no ink on it. It has no uh, adhesive on it. So one of the things that we're trying to work on with some really large companies, really in the beverage industry initially, um, is creating what they call a closed loop system. So it's much easier to collect products between businesses than from businesses to consumers because there's just so fewer destinations. So if you can imagine a big beer company that has a brewery and then they're shipping to their wholesalers. Well, you know, one brewery may have you know, several dozen wholesaler locations they're shipping to. So collecting something like stretch film at the wholesaler level and bringing it back, bailing it, and having it recycled is something that should be very doable. So mm-hmm. we're in the middle of, of trials and pilots uh, to create closed loop systems to keep that product out of landfills and, and, and recycled into other products. So uh, closed loop systems, you hear a lot about in our industry. Um, When it relates to business to consumer packaging, which is the area that we have so much leakage, you know, the problem of plastic pollution in our environment really isn't business to business packaging. It's business to consumer packaging. When it gets in the hands of the consumer, we just have a lot less control of it. it. My perspective is because of that, because we just cannot guarantee that if it ends up in the hands of the consumer, it won't end up in a river, a lake, or the ocean packaging flies out of trash cans it flies out of cars boats you know it just happens so we have really been promoting more paper-based packaging uh if it's going to be shipped to your house so that can be craft paper void fill instead of plastic air pillows Uh, we introduced last year a padded mailer uh, that's made from 100 paper as opposed to the traditional bubble mailers you might see
0: yeah.
1: um what what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of that flexible packaging that ends up at your house is it may be quote recyclable but it doesn't get recycled because there's very little value to it so you put it in your blue bin it goes to the municipal recycling facility they send it to the landfill you know so that's the one of the other things too is we need a lot more education around recycling but if it's a We, in this country, we recycle paper really well. I mean, somewhere north of 80% of all the corrugated boxes that go to your house are recycled. So that infrastructure exists and a thing like a paper mailer or paper package, you know, paper packaging, void fill packaging that gets recycled just with the corrugated boxes. The system is there. And on the off chance that that paper packaging ends up in the environment in about 12 to 14 weeks, it's going to be gone. You know, right. so for, to me, that's that's the solution that we should be focused on in that space. Paper packaging, you know, that's, that's quickly biodegradable. That's a key word there. You hear a lot of people, I mean, my car is biodegradable. It just takes a long time. <laughs> right. You know, right. So that word gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. Um, so again, those are the kind of things that we're focused on. Um, you know, again, we always want to look at efficiency first. How can we use the least amount of packaging possible to get products from point A to point B? And then how do we create circularity and closed loop systems in certain areas? And then in other areas, let's identify what we recycle really, really well and where we can pivot to those products. And that's also where a lot of the innovation needs to be as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the, there's a couple of things that that you mentioned, too, that I think is interesting is, um, you know, talking about recycling education and like to... So for one thing, it's like, all right, I let to throw everything in my blue bin. Well, you know, someone's got to sort all that, and uh, most of the times, you know, most people don't know what their local municipality will even recycle if they have that, and that's just in the United States. Uh, furthermore, if you look at, um, I was working with a with a lodge in the Bahamas, and at, you know, the island Abaco. I mean, they, they just don't have any infrastructure, what any waste infrastructure, period. So it's like you know they they'll get shipped um, you know everything from beer bottles to you know sodas whatever and it comes in packaging well, it's got nowhere to go um, and so they may all take that to a landfill uh, but then a hurricane comes and, <laughs> and 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 blows it in the ocean and that you know th- there's this long line of um, I think. Okay. Well, I'll just recycle it. Well, then you also I, that opened my eyes traveling to another country, and seeing like, wow. Okay. Well, they 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 literally they just don't even have a way to deal with it. Um, and so it's a it, it it's an interesting problem that I think to your point and, and are one hundred percent correct about that can be addressed further up the supply chain, not further down because you 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 can't rely on every person to either one have the infrastructure to understand what you know we've proven we can't rely on on, on consumers to, to always do the right thing so um, I think addressing it further up the supply chain and using it like as you said as a, as a tool to sustainability as a tool to drive innovation is a, is, is kind of a, a win-win scenario
1: yeah I mean I, I actually think that that is the key uh, the big advances that I've seen in sustainability are from companies that are deciding to innovate. You know, like um, the, the, the innovation in technology and packaging is really no different than technology in cell phones or computers or anything else. There is tremendous energy, very smart people, you know, uh, working all the time to, to create packaging that is more functional, uh, that is more efficient. Um, and and, and that, that needs to be something that's encouraged and rewarded. Um, and, and, so, and, we're, and that is who we are as an organization. I mean, we have really built a reputation on being the most technical packaging company uh, in the sustainable space. And again, you know, when we're looking to create packaging efficiency, which, like I mentioned earlier, is, in my opinion, the first rule of, of, of sustainability. If we can use less, that's always... Now, we have to use less and still get the products where they need to be safely. The one thing we don't want to do is use less packaging and then have tons of damage because then we're throwing away products and that's the worst so you know packaging is critically important to protecting us from throwing away products but then from there it's about you know and typically when we're talking about radically efficient packaging it's always highly technical you know when you're going thinner faster stronger that takes technology um, and so, and, and it also takes not only technology with the products, but many times in industrial applications with the equipment that is applying those products as well. Mm-hmm. So, marrying equipment, materials, a high level of technical service is really the key to, to packaging efficiency and, and something our industry is very focused on. And the large consumer products companies are demanding um, because the nice thing when you can also pair sustainability with using less. There's almost always a cost savings too. So when I'm looking at for, for sustainability gains, if I can find areas where we compare sustainability and cost savings, we run to those because they get adopted so quickly. You know, yeah. but the reality is there are certain parts of the supply chain. You know, paper packaging is one of them. In many applications, if you're shipping from a single-use plastic to a paper-based product and it's more sustainable, it's just going to cost more. Not always, but in many cases it is. But I do believe that the brands, and this is starting to shift, are beginning to value sustainability beyond cost savings. And historically, that's all that sustainability meant was cost savings. Uh, but but the brands are really waking up, and um, and I think a lot of that's about the the consumers. Uh, you know, I read something you know a few weeks ago that. Um, that the, the 18 to 34 year olds in the, in this country 75 uh, percent of that group which actually has more buying power than the baby boomers today value sustain sustainability is core to the products and packaging that they purchase 75 percent i mean that the brands listen to numbers like that yep
0: yeah that's that's exactly right and and, and i will um because i've worked with some like everybody if you're in the apparel business for example everybody is like, how do we get rid of these, like all these individual single plastic bags that go on our products? And what I've had, you know, part of that process is going well, you know, and what a lot of consumers don't understand is that the environmental impact of damaging that product is far greater then the environmental impact of ensuring that that product is not damaged and is able to be delivered into the consumer and live out a usable life as a as a product versus everything, all of the embodied carbon and, and water and everything else in apparel. Um, if it's, let's just hypothetically say you just put it in a cardboard box and you were shipping that from China or wherever and, uh, you know, hurricane, whatever, the box gets wet, all the product ruins well all of the embodied energy carbon water that went into making that product is now totally gone to waste so that's the that's why these you know uh, apparel companies have to wrap their their products in these in plastic packaging right um but then you look for other options like okay well are there ones that are 100% you know made from recycled materials or are recycled and, and and all these other things. But I think that that's just a, a really important point that you made in terms of understanding the value of packaging in using it as a way to protect products because to ruin it from the outset would have a far greater environmental impact than it would to wrap them and ensure that they're delivered safely
1: to the, to the end, end user. Yeah. And, you know, At the same time, I think that it's important to understand that it's that that is absolutely true, but it's not an excuse not to innovate. You know, I do hear a lot of people in the apparel industry that say, well, we just have no choice but use plastic bags. Well, the reality is there are some great high performance paper solutions for covering apparel now that look great. I mean, we, we sell some of these products. I mean, they are very good looking. They are more expensive. I mean, there's nothing cheaper than a super thin gauge garment bag. It's as cheap as it gets. But, you know, an apparel company has to make a decision that we're literally going to pay as much as 50 or 60 or maybe even 100% more for this bag to protect our product because we value sustainability and we know our customers do too. Mm-hmm. And, one of the things I've seen recently, we do a lot of business with certain companies that are in the outdoor industry. I won't name any names, but companies you guys would know well. Mm-hmm. And I've been really impressed. You know, they are listening to their consumers and they're wanting to make big shifts and they're willing to to pay more if that's what it takes in order to be more sustainable. And we have to have that kind of leadership. You know, yeah. again, like I said earlier, it can't, we have to get away from An economy where everyone in this industry only looks at cost as the primary driver. You know, there is a significant cost to polluting our oceans for future generations. You may not, it it may be a little bit harder to quantify in in the products that we buy, but we have got to begin to look at what is the cost of doing nothing? What is the cost to our children, our children's children? What kind of legacy are we leaving? Um, And, you know, for me, that has become a real personal passion and mission to to get that word out there. I don't, you know, and and again, it's starting to shift. More and more people are rallying around it. Uh, I give a lot of credit to people, you know, like the folks at Patagonia, they were a big inspiration for me. Uh, Yvonne's book, Let My People Go Surfing, I think should be a must read for anybody in industry. hundred percent agree. But uh, but again, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. So we, we,
0: we, we talked a little bit about that, too, and I, I'll just mention, um, second that. If, if you have not read, if you're in business and, and you're looking to really get inspired, um, Let My People Go Surfing um, is a fantastic read. Um, but I want to, we're going to come back to that because at the end of this, I want to talk about some fishing and surfing. But, um, but what I want to kind of also talk about that you mentioned is, and and i guess you answered it but i you know it, it, is it cost that's keeping companies from moving away from plastic packaging is that the i mean that's the primary driver right i mean it's just like hey look i mean i can't
1: i don't know yeah no i mean co- cost you know cost or function you know but, and again like i mentioned earlier we don't have a lot of great options for wrapping raw chicken you know, outside of plastic. <laughs> I don't think right. anybody wants to buy raw chicken wrapped in paper, Right. you know? And so, you know, but, but again, it's, it's not an excuse to, to not innovate. There are, that is one area of the supply chain where I actually think biofilms, compostable films, uh, you know, uh, I don't think that's a panacea. You hear a lot about it, you know, you know, films made from sugar cane or corn, uh, even algae, I think there is absolutely a place for those products, but I do not believe they will be ubiquitous. You know, mainly because I don't think we want to transition all the plastic that we buy to feed stocks from industrial farming products. You know, I don't think we want to, you yeah. know, rely on industrial farmed corn for all of our packaging needs. I think that has reverberations that could be catastrophic. However, you know, in food packaging, in products that we know need to be in some sort of polymer-based packaging for food safety, that is an area that I think we should spend a lot of time looking at biofilms. And there's some other areas, too, but that one specifically. Um, so, but, you know, when it comes to a lot of different types of packaging that don't have a, quote, freshness component, you know, cost is the biggest driver. You know, cost is the biggest driver. So, um, and again, you do have to look at certain areas of the supply chain. As I mentioned earlier, you know stretch film for instance, in business to business packaging is really, really efficient. And so if you've got a plastic product that's really efficient, and there's other options, you know other examples besides stretch film, but if I were to replace this plastic with something else, I'd have to use two or three or four or five times as much packaging. even if it is sustainable, probably not the right direction to go. Let's figure out a way to make this plastic product more circular. Um, And again, I do think where we need a lot of leadership at the federal government level, you mentioned it earlier, you know, the municipal recycling infrastructure in the United States is so convoluted and it's different from municipality to municipality. Uh, I recently traveled to Austin, Texas um, to meet with Richie Getter, who um, is one of the owners of Balcones Resources. They're the privately held municipal recycling facility in Austin, and they're also one of the most advanced recycling facilities in the country. They use optical sorters and it's basically robotics to identify products, take pictures of products and then automatically sort them. You know, when you can do that really, really efficiently, you know, all these things that we traditionally call waste, we got to remember they have value. You know, an aluminum can, aluminum can sell for as much as 75 cents a pound. You know, yeah. so that is the other paradigm shift. I think we really have to have in industry as well as at the consumer level. Like the things we traditionally look at as trash, have real value in the new earth where we are looking for circularity and a higher level of recycling. And so we got to have damn sophisticated recycling infrastructure in this country to sort things efficiently, because if you don't have those, it's real inefficient to sort it. And then it becomes too expensive to recycle. But if we can you know, sort it automatically with optical sorters, and then bail the stuff efficiently. All of a sudden, creating circularity and creating value around all these products becomes achievable. And you know, all of a sudden, a lot less of it ends up in landfills because you know you're not going to throw hundred dollar bills in landfills very often. Right. Right. Yeah. No. You. That, that's a. That's an
0: interesting uh, point to make. And that's what in the you know, what we what the little sustainability uh, speak would call as a, as a business your waste. Right. If you paid for it and you're throwing it away, I mean, that's a squandered corporate asset. You know, so let's let's find ways to potentially create new revenue streams and uh, drive innovation with products that are traditionally being thrown away. And to your point, it sounds like technology, you know, being able to make that valuable through efficiency as you said throughout this and technology um like this guy like this guy in Austin is a way to is a solution which is you know that's kind of the part of the 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 focus of this is and and having these conversations um is to inspire and so for me to hear that these things are happening now because I don't know you know I don't know a ton about Packaging, I know a little bit, um, but this is enlightening and, and hopeful for me anyway, to hear that, hey, look, these things are being worked on today because all, all it takes is for people to know that it's achievable, right? You know, once they realize that, hey, well, hang on, this can be done,
1: then, okay, well, what do we got to do? Let, let, let's let's start hauling ass with this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my opinion, we, we could really use some leadership at, at government levels to say, we want every single municipal recycling facility to look like the one in austin texas i mean why, i mean that that seems like a really reasonable use of taxpayer dollars why in charleston are there certain things that we can't recycle but in austin you can you know why in rural parts of the country do you virtually have no recycling why in the inner cities of places like chicago you have no recycling I mean, recycling should be ubiquitous across the entire country. It should be uniform and it should be highly automated. You know, Mm -hmm. to to me, that's the biggest no brainer, you know, that and curbside composting. Those are my two big ones. Those those two things work so well. And, you know, but we we have to have leadership at the government level that says we are going to do this. I mean, because until we get the sortation piece done efficiently and correctly, everything else downstream of that doesn't work very well. So to me, collection sorting has to come first.
0: Interesting. All right. And so we're, we're, we 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 kind of touched on this a little bit, but, I, but I'm curious, cause I know um, I've certainly thought about it. And and in fact, the other day I um, bought some eggs from the grocery store that were like organic uh, cage-free eggs and, and, and all that good stuff. And But they were they were in a plastic packaging and I and I opened it up and it said these these eggs are basically wrapped in plastic because it has a smaller carbon footprint than an alternative for paper. And I was like, that's interesting. And so I've I've known that obviously there's a connection between climate and plastic packaging. Right. Because it's it's derived from from oil um, or fossil fuels for, for the most part. And I'm, I'm I want to get your take on this because I I think that um it, it's interesting that that kind of shocked me a little bit when I looked in the in the ad cart and was like huh it's like is that right so uh what 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 is your take on this
1: how are they connected what what what's what's the deal yeah I you know <laughs> that that's one of the things that I take great issue with um you know I, I you know I'm glad you didn't tell me who it was I don't like, I don't want to point fingers <laughs> and call people out but. Uh, That, to me, is a great example of greenwashing. Um, The reason that that company, in my opinion, is buying that plastic egg crate is because it is cheaper. It is a lot cheaper than paper. And they're going to tell you, oh, we're doing this because it's got a lower carbon footprint. I think I hear a lot of that in our industry. Um, you got to remember, single-use plastics have a low carbon footprint. I mean, how do you lower a carbon footprint? the least amount of material possible (laughs) you know without material there is no carbon footprint so um, you know it's real easy for people in the plastics industry to lean into that carbon footprint argument just because a lot of their products are so thin compared to a paper alternative but i think it's important to remember and i don't have exact numbers here because they don't really exist i had to back into some of these numbers but based on my best estimates packaging is about two or three percent of our total global carbon emissions. So we are not going to save the world from global warming by choosing plastic packaging over paper packaging, or any packaging over another packaging based on its carbon footprint. We're going to have the biggest impact on climate change by shifting away from burning fossil fuels to renewable energy to the electrification of transportation. And so, you know, certainly if the packaging industry is run on renewable energy, like if we have paper mills run on renewable energy, that's gonna lower the carbon footprint of those paper products. And I'm all for that. But what I'm not for is saying, this product right here has a slightly lower carbon footprint. It's highly pollution, um, you know, uh, the the possibility for pollution is very high with this product than this other product, but it has a lower carbon footprint. To me, that is a very insincere argument. Um, For me in packaging, You know, given given those facts, uh, I think it's important that we the primary thing we need to look at is, is this made from a renewable resource and does it, if it does end up in the environment, especially if it's consumer destined packaging, if it's going to end up at my house or your house, if it by chance ends up in the environment, will it biodegrade in a reasonable amount of time, which to me is like three to four months. Anything beyond that, I think you have to take question with. And if it answers those, and it isn't recyclable too, you know, paper-based products are highly recyclable. And as I mentioned earlier, we have the infrastructure to do it. So if it checks those boxes, forget about the carbon footprint. You know, if you want to have an impact on climate change, buy solar panels for your home, buy solar panels or wind for your, for your businesses, you know, switch to electric vehicles. You know, we traded out all of our forklifts, over 100 forklifts from gas powered to electric forklifts. We made that purchase with Toyota here recently. You know, that is how we, I mean, you can really offset carbon with renewable energy. I mean, we're going to offset, you know, I don't know, 5,000 tons over the next couple of years for renewable energy. Man, you can't make an impact with packaging, you know, just looking at one piece of packaging to another. So um, if, you know, anytime I see a carbon footprint argument associated with plastic packaging in particular, I'm not saying they're always insincere, but it's always worth asking a few more questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that,
0: that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. And, and thank you for your insight. Cause I was like, this, that, this seems off to be like, just intuitively. Cause you know, I, I, I work with a lot of businesses and, and, and actually calculating their footprint. And, and you brought up an important point because what people need to, so a, a couple things, one, according to the intergovernmental panel on climate change, we have to reduce, and the key word is reduce, our carbon fo- our global carbon footprint. Right? We got to reduce global carbon footprint. Technically, it's forty nine percent, but let's just say fifty percent this decade, the twenty twenties. We got to reduce it. So, what is the single most important thing a business can do this decade? Reduce your carbon footprint. To Wes's point, what are they doing? Renewable energy electric uh forklifts okay that is a concrete action that you can take but the other point is is that that that's you you need to reduce your footprint we need to be car- carbon neutral by 2050 but the interesting thing because we kind of have been talking about supply chains and for those of you who don't know much about carbon footprinting there's three scopes there's scope 1 scope 2 scope 3 scope 1 and 2 are more or less company owned or controlled vehicles and buildings and purchase electricity. Scope three is your supply chain. Well, if everybody, if every business calculated their carbon footprint, there would be no need to calculate a scope three emission because everyone would be acting responsibly. And that's the thing that is, is and sort of, and what I do with the, with the fly fishing industry and mapping some of this out was to say, well, look, if you can't, if every business here was just doing their scope one, scope two, we don't need to go through the process of scope three, which is time consuming and, and is frankly, you know, a little bit of a pain. Now I've made a, a way to make it a little bit easier, but all that is oh, to be, to to yeah, <laughs> well, all, all, no, all, I mean... all that is said, but, it's, but, but it's true. And so I, you know, my, my, I guess my, and, and, and wrapping up that, that long winded point is that, you know, what Atlantic packaging is doing, what all, you know, a, a number of companies are doing. And I commend all of them is to focus on reducing your footprint immediately. That's the number one thing you can do this decade. Um, so anyway, again, I've, I've gotten on my soapbox a couple of times this, the, the, this call and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to apologize in advance, but I, I get fired up and it's cool talking about this stuff. So anyway, that, that, that's my two cents. Oh,
1: I mean, I, I, I completely agree with your sentiments um I'm passionate about it myself um, Atlantic we have committed to be carbon neutral by 2030 uh scope one and two um you know, like I said you know we're the scope two is the easiest thing to tackle because it's your electricity burn and renewable energy is affordable it's available. Um, and I encourage all industries to be looking you know, diligently at, at things like solar and wind. I mean, there are, I mean, there's a 26% federal tax credit right now for solar panels. Uh, the ROI for us on our solar investment, which was very significant. We all set half of our scope to emissions with solar. Um, you know, the, the, the ROI was five to seven years, which is probably a little bit outside of what traditional ROI. But, you know, this is, we're not living in traditional times, you know, and I, I do believe, you know, if you want to be... Uh, an environmentally conscious organization which everyone should be you know you're going to have to factor in other things beyond ROI um you know what, just doing the right thing being one of them um you know scope 1 is transportation related you know i have ordered tractor trailers from elon musk i do not think i'll be his first delivery um but you know we made that investment as well and to your point scope 3 uh is a bear you know the emissions of all of your suppliers but i actually think given uh, the current conditions around the supply chain, the scope three thing is relatively brilliant. I mean, it is forcing compliance across the supply chain. You know, um, you know, we get a lot of encouragement from our strategic customers, the consumer products companies, Anheuser-Busch being a big one, they're big leaders in this space, that they really encouraged us to get on board with this and inspire me because we are their scope three emissions. You know, and a lot of the packaging companies that I buy from, I'm partnered with, um, they're my scope three emissions. And so I put a lot of pressure on them to make these moves. And so of all the things from the carbon disclosure project, which we're members of the scope three, I think, has it's it's, it's the most time consuming and the most cumbersome. But I also think it is the brilliance uh, of carbon mapping across the supply chain. And I'm seeing evidence that it is working. So, um, you know, That's we're awesome. committed to being fully, fully carbon neutral by by 2050 uh, in, in, a, in, a, in line with the, the climate accords, the Paris climate accords. Um, the scope three being the more difficult thing to tackle, but I would like to believe that we can get there sooner. Again, we're being really aggressive on one and two because that's something I can tackle immediately. Um, and, and then, you know, hopefully get this, the scope three done by, by 2040 is my actual goal.
0: That's amazing. Um, and that's, you yeah, know, that, that, that's what it will take to solve the climate crisis. I mean, it is, Hey, we're going to make an investment and um This is what is it's it's the right thing to do, but there is a real legitimate business case for it and we're willing to step up and put our money where our mouth is and this is how we're going to do it. So um, I think that's a, 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 a good segue, I guess I would say, into we have covered a lot of ground on this call. I have, I've, have, you know, I know a little bit, like I said about, about packaging, but this was super interesting to dive into the supply chain components. Um, but I also, cause I am just curious and I want to hear more about it. Cause I know you're involved with a project Um that centers around surfing and and plastic pollution. And I'm, I'm going to stop there. And I just want to, I want, I want, I want to hear more about this because I'm, I'm personally intrigued and and interested in it.
1: Yeah. Well, um, no, it's, it's really a passion project. Um, uh, I'm really excited about, you know, where, where it's headed, but um, you know, basically um, I have a guy that I work with who is a marketing and branding guy. He's out of Idaho and, he called me over Christmas and said, hey, you know, back in my earlier career, when I worked at Hurley, you know, the surf brand Hurley, um, I worked closely with a guy named Peter King. And I'm like, you talking about Peter King, the surfing journalist? He's like, yeah, yeah, Peter. I was like, I sort of know who Peter King is. He's like, we know Peter was the first surfer that that Bob Hurley ever signed. Um, And today he lives in Hawaii on the North Shore, and he's a photographer and a documentary. And guy and he does tour notes for the world surfing league so i was like oh yeah tour notes on wsl i'm familiar with that so he said hey listen peter wants to make a documentary on the history of surfing where it's been where it is today and where it's going but he also he wants to have an emphasis also on surf manufacturing surfing apparel sustainability and he's trying to find a partner and when he mentioned this to me i said you know what Wes Carter in Atlantic is the guy you need to talk to. I mean, he's ra- He's really passionate about sustainability. They're doing some really cool things in the space. And Wes happens to be a surfer who grew up at Wrightsville Beach. Um, you know, the waves at Wrightsville Beach are nothing like the waves in Oahu. But hey, you know, we do what we can. Um, so um, I'll never forget it. I had a Zoom call with Peter King on the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. Uh, and he and I just, I mean, we started rolling. I mean, I, can't, I don't know how long that call was, several hours. And um, his passions and my passions just really linked up. So I looked at my wife and said, hey, I'm going to fly to Hawaii next week. She goes, you're going to do what? (laughs) Um, I was like, something about this feels really right. So she got excited as well. And and, and we've been out there several times. And so Peter and I um, came up with this plan to create a documentary series. Um, We've called it, we're calling it A New Earth Project. Um, And the real premise behind it is, Using the professional surfing community, which he's very engaged with, uh, really as the advocates for the oceans, the ambassadors for the oceans. You know, I can I can argue that there's no one who sees more of the oceans than the professional surfing community. I mean, these guys there were in Australia last week and they'll be in Africa next week, and they're on the west coast of the United States, they're in Central America. I mean, these guys are traveling the globe. And so they see this plastic pollution problem up close and personal globally. You know, and so don't And these guys are real passionate about saving the oceans. They're real passionate about sustainability. The, the younger guys that are up and comers are really leaders in this space. But what they don't have is access to the supply chain, and that is what Atlantic brings to the table. So the collaboration is using the surfers as our ambassadors, and then utilizing Atlantic as the link to the supply chain to raise awareness to feature. Uh, programs and projects and circularity and packaging to encompass all the things that you and I've talked about over the last hour um, and, and create a documentary series that's really engaging for people. So it'll be entertaining. There's going to be a lot about the history of surfing. There's going to be a lot of great interviews with with surfers from way back when and, and a lot of modern day guys as well. But also a real emphasis on how can we as a global surfing community, you know, professionals and amateurs like the rest of us, you know, work together uh, to begin to bring change. And a lot of that change comes from demanding change from the, the the companies that make the products that we buy. I mean, that is a big piece of it. But it's also about raising awareness on a lot of the cleanup efforts. I mean, there are some really cool technologies out there. One of my favorites is a company called the Ocean Cleanup. Um, and they have these very large ships that they put in rivers and oceans. I believe they have 19 of them now around the globe uh, that basically sift plastic pollution out of rivers and oceans uh, that then can be recycled. And so um, and I, and I believe documentary series like this can bring awareness to those technology and hope, hopefully help those guys raise money uh, to create more more technology and build more ships. And so it's about cleaning up the ocean, but more than that, it's it's really about raising awareness. like I said earlier in the podcast, we have to stop the tap. You know, all the cleanup efforts in the universe, are not going to be enough to overcome close to 30 million tons of plastic being dumped in the ocean every year. You got you got to turn off the tap. And, and that's the thing, if I could leave anybody, you know, that's the biggest piece. And, and and no single company, really no single you know, entity across the supply chain can do this alone. I mean, it is the ultimate collaboration. And so for me, a new earth project, if I had to put one word on it, it is collaboration. How do we work together as a global community of individuals of professionals of industry how do we all come together to solve the most complex problem in modern history and if we can do it you know what a legacy you know this can be our generation's moon landing and i hope the new earth project can be uh, you know a a jumping off point you know to, to really begin this process and so that's really what it is. And, um, you know, we're hoping to begin to release some episodes, uh, later this year. That's awesome. Well, um,
0: Wes, I, I don't think that we could end on a higher note than, than, than promoting, um, the, the, the work of the new earth project. And I mean, to be honest, I got a little, I got a little fired up, uh, here, here, here at the end. So I appreciate that. I'm, I'm always looking for ways to stay inspired. So I, 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 uh, I, I do appreciate that, and um, thank you all for everything that you're doing to, um, you know, take responsibility for your business um, in terms of the products you produce, to reducing your carbon footprint. To um, I think film is a is an excellent medium to 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 reach a, a large audience and educate and influence them. And so. I am. I'm stoked to to see a new earth project as those start uh, as those start rolling out. Where um, where can people find more info on Atlanta Packaging and a new earth project and and any any other things you got
1: going on? Yeah, so A New Earth Project, um, you can go to anewearthproject.com, um, and we also have an Instagram feed that we update really, really regularly, um, and that is A, not B, A, New Earth Project. Um, you can find it on Instagram. Um, I'm also Wes Inland Carter on Instagram, and I post a lot of stuff related to sustainability on my personal feed. Um, and then, um, you know, LinkedIn is a great medium. It's one of my favorites. There's a lot of great information on there. Um, a new Earth project has a, has a LinkedIn page as well as a uh, West Carter with Atlantic Packaging. Um, I, you know you can follow me I friend everybody if you request to follow me I'll, I'll let you follow me because I do believe that raising awareness is really important so I want as many people on board and talking about these things as possible but uh, Atlantic we're at AtlanticPKG.com you got a great website there's a lot of cool videos on there um, we have a packaging solution center in Charlotte North Carolina where we do a lot of packaging testing um, and uh, have a lot of technology there that uh, even if you're not in packaging, there's some really cool stuff. There's a lot of videos on our website about that. So, um, yeah, would 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 encourage everybody to come check us out. And um, yeah, even if you just uh, want to watch some really cool surfing videos, Peter puts up really great videos on the Earth, on the Earth Project. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I
0: I follow and I'll have to I'll have to concur. Um, <laughs> so. Thanks for listening to The Sustainable Angler and special thanks to Wes Carter from Atlantic Packaging uh, for everything that they're doing to be part of the solution. Um, If you like what you're hearing on the show, uh, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. That helps us to expand our reach and our audience so that we can continue to educate and inspire anglers to take action and protect what we love. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for listening.